Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're supposed to know where I would be. Okay, okay. We made our way about um, a third of our way through this chapter. We've got to plug away again in this same category. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> let's remember about the church of Thessalonica. Paul had come there as a Macedonian vision. He went to Philippi. We saw the people get saved there, Lydia. Then he came around the Aegean Way, and, and eventually he came to um, Thessalonica. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia, the big well-known area there. And as that church blossomed, their testimony went forward. And Paul began to challenge them to do more and more. And as he came to chapter 4, he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And we dealt two weeks on the idea of different parts of our lives being clean and being sanctified before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's God's will that we live a clean testimony. And then we go to verse 6, please, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, that we're to be honest with each other. I remember years ago, I had a teacher in college that uh, had an old Ford Edsel. Edsel was one of the four uh, sons, I believe, and he had a prime car that he wanted to develop. Edsel was supposed to be the leading new car that was coming out. It turned out to be sort of a, a, a bomb although it was an engineering feat in a lot of ways. Anyhow, this teacher had an Edsel, and he said he got, after driving it for years, he was really happy with it, but it was worn out, and he said, you know, it had a leak in the trunk. There's just, I never could fit get that seal in the trunk. It just leaked in the trunk, and up in the front around the window, there was a seal that never could quite get sealed. So when he got ready to sell it, he put it in the paper, and this man came, and he walked around, and he said, boy, this car's in pretty good condition. And this teacher, Bible teacher, said, you know, it is in good condition, but I have to be honest with you, it has a leak in the trunk. And around the front window, there's a seal I can never quite get sealed. And he said, I'll just be honest with you, that's probably something you're going to fight with. The guy said, uh, you want X number of dollars. Let's say back then he wanted $4,000. He said, I'll give you $4,500. He said, no, 4000 He said, no, it's worth $4,500. I Before I came, I researched what this was worth, and that's what I'm going to pay. And he said, I have one just like it. And he said, I need it for parts, really. And he said, my... Edsel leaks in the trunk, and it leaks around the front seal. And he said, when you told me honestly about that, he said, I knew the rest of the car was in good shape too. Isn't that interesting? That we are not to defraud one another. God can't bless deceit. Lay it out there. It's God's business. Do you know everything that you have and I have, our jobs, our business, our health, our wealth, that all belongs to God? Just be honest. And that's what he's calling out here. Don't defraud. And especially, did you notice he said, your brethren? We should surely not defraud each other. And it's not just in money. It's, it's in being honest with each other and being true and being what we are and not being fakes. And we, I'm not going to preach any more of that. That was last week's sermon. In verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God's call is not to be duplicitous. 
God's call is not an unrighteousness. God's call is not for the Christian to live like the world. God's call is to draw us to himself to holiness. And God is not an unclean God. Our God is a holy God. And we, we should almost stop afresh this morning and sing, Holy, holy, holy. Isn't that interesting, that song in our modern church has sort of disappeared off the stage, and yet it's fundamental to who God is. God's not called us to anything but cleanness, but to holiness. Now we come, please, to verse 8. He that despiseth, despise not God, man, but God, and whoso also has given us of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost will never lead an individual or a church into uncleanness, or deceit, or dishonesty, or into anything that's not righteous. And if you look at a lot of the methodology of modern churches, it is built on deceit and dishonesty and worldliness. I have to say, according to my reading of the Bible and this scripture, they're following a different spirit. not the Holy Spirit. When you follow the Holy Spirit, it will take you directly to the character of God. That's going to be the character of, the, of their operation, of the way they deal with anybody. Then he goes to verse 9, and this is where we start in this morning. He says, but. And if you'll notice again in verse 13, he says, but. I've joked over the years, that's my favorite word in the Bible, Pastor, buts. I like the buts in the Bible, all right? Here we have a but. What does but usually mean? It's a conjunction, is it not? Uh, well, my English teacher is a conjunction. Good, okay. Uh, it's a conjunction. And it usually is a transition. And when we think of the word but, usually it's leading into a new subject and it's making you think there's a condition, there's a thought. You know, you could have this but. I'm going to let you do this but. And whenever you see that word but, it usually has a, an angle that you need to consider that's true. So he's been talking about God's will, about sanctification, about being clean, about following the Holy Spirit, about uh, righteousness and holiness. And he says, but I got another thing to remind you of that fits in the same category, that maybe you wouldn't consider as in the same category. Let's see what this but is all about. But as touching brotherly love. And he's going to talk about our relationships, man to man, woman to woman, Christian to Christian. Brotherly love has to do, it starts with the church. The verses 9, 10, and 11 have to do with our relationship with one another as a church family, as Christians in an individual family, as the church community in a whole. We are to have a, and here, loving relationship. God is holy, but God is also love. Could you turn with me, please, before we even do any more studying, turn to 1 John chapter 4, and let's lay a foundation. And as we get to chapter 4, could we have a word of prayer to start this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as we would look at this passage, these four or five verses concerning our relationship with fellow man. Lord, may we understand that this is critical. This is important. That reflects on our relationship with you. And it talks about our heart and our changed heart. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me as I preach. 
that I preach with love, I preach with power, that I preach with the word of God as my foundation. Lord, we need you. Lord, oh, how much we need you. And we need love stirred up in our midst. Help me this morning. Before I finish my part of the prayer, would you insert your own heart here? And would you just say, God, speak to me today personally about my relationship from fellow man to fellow man. Invite God to instruct and challenge you. Now, Father, we've given you the go-ahead. We've opened our hearts to you today. May you fill us with your mind and your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. First John chapter 4, look at verse 7. We're thinking of love. We're thinking of God's love as opposed to man's love. We're thinking of loving the brethren in this passage of Scripture. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let's just stop here. A mark of a Christian that's genuinely saved and born from on high is that they begin to have a love for the brethren and a love for the lost. This is a hallmark of a godly Christian that they're loving. I often, when I'm trying to define something, I define it by the negative. When a person doesn't love, when a person is showing animosity and they're continually grudging, they're, they're getting even, they're bitter, they're angry, they're, they're snippy, they're pushy, they're, they're sectarian, they're all these other things that we could throw in there that are the opposite of love, then they're not walking in God's love. When we can come to church, and I've heard stories, preachers, and I've seen them over the years, people, when they talk, they say, Pastor, you know, I had a bitterness and an anger towards a, a relative, toward a Christian, towards somebody else at church, maybe towards you, the preacher. And it colored everything. And it took away the Holy Spirit's ability to guide me because I didn't have the love of God being manifested in my heart. God wants us to love our fellow man. And if you look at verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. I take that as sort of a command, don't you? God says, learn to love one another. Years ago, when my kids were little, I had two boys, and they're my oldest. Three years separated. They'd be in the other room, and they... And how many of you have more than one child? Do they ever argue in the other room? And I, I, after about the third or fourth trip in, going through some problems, I finally walked in and I said to my boys, um, when you walk in, it's always the other person's fault. You ever notice that? He said, but he did, but he said, but he said. I said, you know what? From now on, if I have to come back, you're both getting a spanking. That's not fair. I said, learn to get along. Guess what? They didn't believe me. So I came back and gave them both a spanking. Then I didn't have to come back anymore. They had to learn to get along. Do you know churches have to learn to get along? We are so different from each other. How would we ever be fellowshipping together without Christ? 
How would this group choose to be sitting in the same room with each other if it weren't for Jesus? I mean, we have so many different backgrounds, financially, uh, races, countries, education, uh, uh, jobs that we're doing, uh, single, married, children, old, young. We got lots of things we wouldn't choose to be with each other. But Christ brought us together. And he formed a church. And the Bible says, let us love, not just get along. Love goes way past get along. Could you agree with that? Genuinely love. Love, if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, th- uh, chapter 13, we'd say love always puts the other person per- first. It, it doesn't despise. It, it's not puffed up. It, it, it always wants that other person to thrive. It rejoices in their betterment. This is the kind of love that we're supposed to have one toward another. Not jealousy, not anger, not picky, 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 not back talk, not griping, not backbiting, all that kind of stuff. Learn to love one another. You say, Pastor, are you preaching this for any reason? It's next in the text. I'm not choosing it particularly for you. You say, I know you're aiming at me. No, if that's already happened in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. And you're getting convicted this morning. Do you have people in the church that you don't love. Let me take a step further. Maybe you have people from your past that are Christians and you're angry at them. You know what? You've got to learn to even love the people you disagree with. You've got to learn to love people you maybe just can't. You've got to learn to genuinely wish them the best. Somebody years ago, I was in a seminar, and they were talking about your children sometimes don't always do right. And sometimes parents will pray a prayer or something like this. Lord, I pray that you get hold of my son or my daughter that's doing wrong. And Lord, if you have to get them sick and put them down. And they, the speaker said, do you really want your child to get sick? Do you want your child in prison today? He says, stop and think what you're praying. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. Love says, Lord, Please don't have to deal with them like that. Get to their heart before they go to prison. Get to their heart before you have to lay them out on the bed sick. Lord, I love my son. And listen, we can understand that with a child. We should have the same kind of love for the brethren. A love that's not conditional. If you are a good enough person, I'll love you. If you hit all these little things, then I will give you my love. Love loves before you ever love back. And we know as parents, sometimes our kids are not always loving back. Sometimes when they get to be teenagers, they may even say something when a parent's trying to help a child. I hate you. But does that hurt? Will I stop loving you? I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. Instead, you go and your heart's broken, isn't it? It's broken what's going through. We are to learn. I could take this further, but we are to learn to love one another. Let's read it again. Beloved, let us love one another. For God is love, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not doesn't really know God. You don't really understand what it's all about. 
If you really know God, you're going to learn how to love. For God, that little word is means an equal, doesn't it? God is always love. Aren't you glad God loved me before I was even saved? Look at the next verse. And this was manifested the love of God, verse 9, toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me just clarify this for those that may not know Christ. God loves you whether you ever loved him. And if you choose to reject Jesus Christ your whole life through, God still loves you. God sent his son in eternity past, and knowing whether he knows your decisions or not to accept him or not accept him, God still sent his son to die for you. God earnestly cries out with all of his heart for you to be saved. It says that Jesus was sent to be the propitiation. That word propitiation has to do with an offended party. Jesus is made as the payment to remove the offense between us and God the Father. Jesus has already, God has already made the mechanism to remove the barrier between us. If we will just embrace Christ, we can be saved. If we will understand that Jesus is God's way to satisfying his holiness, his love has made a way. And he said, Jesus, my son, will you step forward and will you go to the cross? And Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And he died on that cross bearing your sins and my sins. This is God's love. For God loved us before we loved him. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is being used as this, the image or the, or the, or the proof text or, or the example for you and I in loving others. God loved us forever in the past till now. While we were yet sinners, he gave the most valuable thing he had. How does your love look toward the fellow brethren? It really challenges us. We have no businesses. We have none as Christians to allowing this. And when we think of this in relationship to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we've been talking about God's will of sanctification and cleanness and staying away from pornography and, and having the right spirit and not defrauding one another. But let me just say, he says, but let me talk about love. You think you got all that other stuff in the corner, but you're a not very loving person. You got some asterisks put over here. Not him, not her, not them, not that situation. God says, remove the asterisks. Lay it on the altar. A church has no business for bitterness, hatred, and division. Can I hear an amen? Never. You say, what do you do? You go to God and you give it to him. The Bible says that we are to not hold bitterness, resentment. We're not to be people who try to get even. That all belongs to God. And when you and I choose to hang on to that, instead of loving, 
we're in disobedience. Go on this passage of Scripture, look at verse 10. Here in his love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Would you jump all the way, please, to verse 19? I'm sorry, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I don't know how you lay it out there any simpler than that. I, you, you can twist it every which way we want. If God loved us, we ought to do the same to everybody around us. I have had many times over the years people dealing with bitterness, anger, division, or whatever, and when they finally get it right, maybe it takes a revival or a circumstance, and they finally get it right, and they say, you know, Pastor, I didn't come and talk to you about it because I already knew what you'd say. You'd say, get it right. You don't have a right to bitterness. And I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that I didn't have a right to not love somebody. Here, especially among the brethren, we're not to do that. Look at verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. As we grow in our Christian love, not only is holiness and cleanness perfected, but what else should be perfected? Are you out there? Love. What should be growing? Love for the brethren. It should be getting bigger and deeper. Love sacrifices. Love gives. Love dies for the other person. Love puts the other person first. Love thinks the best for everybody else. It should be growing, not shrinking. Look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, then he is a what? A liar about what? That he loves God. Because God doesn't want us to hate anybody. Are you convicted yet? I find this passage convicting. Do feelings creep in our hearts? God says if you allow those things to grow, you actually grow away from God. If we love God, I love God. I hate my brother. He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment I have, have we from him, that he who loves God, are you a lover of God? Say amen. amen. He that loveth God is also to do what? You're not as loud now. What's he supposed to do? Love his brother. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians now. I just want to lay the foundation. Verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So do we learn where we were taught of God? Yes. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as they would have them do unto myself, right? And uh, the two commandments, one is to love God, and the other is to love fellow man, right? We understand this is fundamental. 
This is fundamental in our Christian life, to learn to love one another. Look on. We are taught of God. This is the right thing. To resist it is to be resisting God himself. Verse 10, and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. Remember, this is the capital city. And indeed, we found in a former chapter, was their testimony spreading throughout Macedonia? Yes. They were doing it somewhat. Maybe even doing pretty good at it. God's not satisfied. Look what he says in the verse. And indeed, ye do it to all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren. Doesn't that sound like Romans 12, 1? We beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more and you know what the Greek word there, if we really just translated it real freely, that you, that you superabound, flowing over the edges, more and more and more and more and more, blah, 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 more and more and more and more, it's a flood. And what is supposed to be doing like that, increasing more and more and just bubbling over and it's just rolling all over the place I and mean, you can't mop it up, it's so much of it. What, what's supposed to be increasing like that? You aren't very loud today. Love! Well, we're showing some love. We, we help the missionaries, and we've got a bus route, and, you know, we do this, and we help this person. Good job. Paul says, but you need to increase. Don't be satisfied. More and more and more. And more, do you know what the natural tendency of people is? We like to live in our own little shell, and we like to take, we like to take more and hoard more and increase more. Am I right? What's the Lord say? More and more. Are you growing in your love for the brethren? I tell you what, I don't think the Lord makes a mistake in putting us in passages, especially during this COVID. We've got to learn to love the brethren more and more. If there's a time that the church family needs loving one another, it is exactly right now. There are people that are isolated. There are people that are discouraged. There are people that are overwhelmed. There are people that are losing hope. Am I right or wrong? And who's there to help them? I know God is. I know the Holy Spirit and the Scripture is. But you know what? Practically speaking, who's supposed to be there to help them? The brethren. That's right. We should not be living as an island in that sense. We should be helping the brethren. We should be aware of each other's needs. And you say, well, I am helping. Then good. Do more. Isn't that interesting? Well, we're doing it. Do more. Well, we're doing that. Then superabound is the word increase. Let it just blah, 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 flow right over the edge and we'll just get more and more and more. Just let it keep going. You can't outgive God in love. Do we want his love to just bubble over onto us? Do we want his love manifested toward us? As ye have received freely, so freely give. Should our love be conditional? No. 
I've learned a couple of things about people showing love. I've heard, the, I've seen those that were in the worst condition and they receive the love of God tend to understand the needs of people and they don't give it with any conditions because they know they sure didn't deserve a hand. And look what God did for me. And they tend to empty their pockets and their house and their car and their cupboards anytime they can to help a brother. Amen? Sometimes we that have been in a good healthy, lots of food, always had a job, come to God. We don't always understand what love, where it's needed. There's a world out here that needs love. But especially we're talking about the brethren here. We are to love the brethren. Let me ask you, what are you doing that demonstrates the love of the brethren? In the book of James, it says it's one thing to know the word, it's another thing to be a doer of the word. Let's just take the last two or three, four weeks. What have you done to practically show generous, overflowing, growing love? This is the command. Just as, I, just as strong as I preached a few weeks ago against pornography and uncleanness and, and, and dishonesty, with God preaches just as strong. He puts a but here. He says, but concerning brotherly love. Don't be satisfied that you've arrived. Superabound and let it flow over the edge to all the brethren and then just keep pouring. And I tell you what, if God finds somebody like that, God just tends to pour right through them into other people around them. I was listening to something this past week and a man said one of the greatest things he ever found in his life was learning to help others. He said it changed him. He said there's such joy. There's such joy in seeing that God has manifested their need and they see Christ in me in a practical way. Such joy. He said I had no idea what it was like to give. Look on please in verse 11. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So he sort of switches gears on us. Love one another. And then he says concerning you, he said you need to learn after you've loved one another to keep your nose out of other people's business. Look at it. That you study to be quiet. You know what the word study means? It means to focus a lot of energy. That I focus to be quiet. And the word quiet there is not to is to not be meddlesome. Do you know, Christians, as much as God tells us to love one another, he also says we need to work on our own life before we work on other people's lives. We can't help people when we're not helping ourselves. Doesn't that sound like so almost like a paradigm that hits against each other? Love and help everybody else, and everybody needs help, well, I'll show love. But then the Lord says, instead of criticizing, work on your own life. Learn to be quiet, to do your own business. Isn't it interesting? We can always see everybody else's needs, but we seldom see our needs. We could see that family has a need, but we don't have a need. We could see somebody else needs to be at church more often, but we're not in church very often. We could see somebody else is a Pharisee and a hypocrite, but we're a hypocrite. 
Lord says, be careful that you study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands as we command you. And if you look at verse 11, it's that word in the Greek, it's the word idios, which means yourself, your own, yourself. God says we're to love the brethren and we are then to work on our own life to get it in order. Many, many years ago, I read the story of a lady that was very good at helping other people. If the pastor needed a volunteer, her hand was always the first one up in the air. She was down at the church. She'd clean the church. She'd mop the church. She'd paint the church. She'd put a roof on the church. She'd mow the lawn. She'd visit. She'd make food for the poor. I mean, she'd do anything that was needed. She worked her heads off. And the problem was her family was falling apart at home. And her husband, who was not a Christian, got very angry at her. He said, you go down to that church all the time, and you're always helping everybody else, but I didn't have dinner again and again and again and again. And the laundry's not done again. And you, you can see where it's going. And so finally, they got into such a problem. It looked like the whole thing was going to fall apart. And the unsaved husband agreed to come into counseling with the pastor and his wife. And he said, if she would just meet my needs, I would, you know, I'd be. and the pastor said, let me just talk to you alone. He said, you know what, before you go loving and doing all this stuff for everybody else, you need to take care of your own business too. You know, it's not spiritual to be doing all these things for everybody else and to not do what you're supposed to do in your own backyard. I know what it's like to have an unsaved man and a wife. My mom was saved, my dad was, and I know how my dad would feel every time my mom would do anything for the church. He was jealous of the Lord. He really was. He was jealous of the time. To, and I, one thing my mom had to learn, if she went to church, she better have the dinner on the stove cooking while she was gone so that she walked back and she could lay it right there because my unsaved husband her dad, my dad, was very jealous of that. You know what? She had to balance serving the Lord with minding her own business. I tread here carefully. Before you clean a church, clean your own house. Before you cook a meal for somebody else, cook a meal for your own family. Before you fix somebody else's car, fix your wife's car. Before you help somebody else's children, help your children. It's not spiritual to show all this love and neglect your own and say that's love. That's what I see in this passage of Scripture. Does it mean that I never love? No. What did he just say? I need to what? Increase more and more and more and more. But he said, not at the expense of what you're supposed to be doing. We need to balance those things together. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. And then he switches now to the unsaved, our relationship to the unsaved. Verse 12 that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without. That word without means outside of Christ, outside the church. 
How many of you work outside of the church? You work at a secular job. Would you raise your hand? It'd be interesting to see if I went, if people went and asked, what is the reputation of, and we fill your name in, are they honest? Are they, how, how does it state that in this verse? It says that they walk honestly toward them that are without. Uh, that word honest there means that, that, all, that they are right and just in all their dealings. Can I give you a parallel scripture on that? Turn with me, please, over to 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you. Are you there, 1 Peter 2, 11? I, dearly beloved, I beseech you. I beseech you. Does not sound like here where he says, I exhort you. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the flesh, um, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That would be the unsaved. That whereas they speak evil against you as an evildoer, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your testimony among the unsaved is how you live your life. Just as much as you've given an invitation to a gospel meeting or given them a five-fax track, or how to get saved or all the other things you would witness to them is how you conduct your life before them. And that you be honest. Let me tell you about two people in the first church I was in. I was a youth pastor. My wife and I went to find one of our teenage girls. Her name was Janice. And we went to try to find her. And we were in Indiana. It was a rural area and a lot of little lakes. Everybody lived on a lake. I mean, you all had a lake as a backyard. So we, when you, when, and everybody's address was Rural Route 1, Rural Route 2, and you try to find people Rural Route 1. You just have to ask around, okay? So we knew they lived out near this, on this lake, and we knew they somewhere. So we thought we knew where it was, and we drove up, and they said, no, who are you looking for? Uh, we're looking for this, Dan. I said, okay, they're, they're over on the other side. We drove over there. We thought we had it. We drove in. We said, uh, no, that's, not the, that's the neighbor. Are you looking for who? Oh, that's the Christians. They're always gone on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we had church on Thursday night. They're always gone on Thursdays, and they're always gone on Saturday morning. They, I think they live at church. And they just went on. I didn't ask him, blah, 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 blah. They was talking about how they conducted their life. The next-door neighbor had it all figured out. They were watching everything. I told you I had an unsafe father. Remember People that took me to church, the Lyons family, the Brodigam's family, my dad watched every detail of their business. And if they didn't do right, he'd comment. Let me tell you of another person. There was a man in that same church in Warsaw 
There was a man that was on the board. His wife was our church secretary. He had been there for 20 years. And after I'd been in that church for about a year, there was a discovery that there was discrepancy in the books. And they started to do a quiet search. And they found somebody had been stealing from the offerings. And when they did the research, they found out how it happened. They trapped this person and found out it was this man that had been on this board for 20 years. His wife was our church secretary. And here he appeared to be so righteous, he's a thief. When they began to research it, not only had he been stealing from the church, but he worked at a large company in town. And when all the things came out, they found out he'd been stealing from work as well. He was known, they had to check his lunchbox before they went home to make sure he wasn't taking home the crescent wrenches and all the rest. His wife said, I didn't know, we kept having garage sales and I couldn't figure out how my husband had so many tools to sell. We could, could never quite figure out, my pastor had been there for several years, he said, this, this company, about 40, 50 employees, that's quite a bit in that little town I was at, he said, people would visit our church and never come back. And it was only after the scandal broke out that they would come to church and they would see him and they would say, that's it. Because that's, during your lunch break, you went to his locker and that's where the penthouse magazines and the Playboy magazines and all the rest were passed around. See, he was dishonest, he was dirty, he was filthy. But he had a beautiful face. So the Lord says to us here that we have to walk honestly toward them that are without. Do you know my lack of living like Christ should before unsaved people can make a difference in their eternity? My hypocrisy and my two-facedness and my just not doing right could keep them from ever considering the Savior I say I love. And then he goes on in the passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he says this, I want to tell you that Jesus is coming again. He talks about the day of visitation. Do you know one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to look at our lives. And as we look at verses 1 through down about a verse 11 where we talked about, he's going to look if we have been clean, whether we've been right with our fellow man, whether we've been doing right with our, with our love for the brethren, whether we've been minding our own business, and then he's going to look at our lives, whether we've been having a testimony that's real and consistent or whether we've been two-faced, dishonest people. And this is a challenge for us in this passage of Scripture. Your churches are filled with a lot of different people. We all say we love the Lord Jesus. But I wonder, where do you fit in this chapter? Are you dealing still with some uncleanness? Are you dealing with some anger and bitterness and hatred and variance and separation from a brother? Are you living a dishonest Christian walk away from church and the unsaved see you as two-faced? The Lord's coming. And on the day of visitation, we're all going to have to give an answer. All of us. 
to the one that knows the truth. You can't put a cover before God. His eyes see all. And you know, in spite of that, God loves all of us, doesn't he? You know what God desires? He desires to draw us unto himself. Will you let him? Will you let him work in your heart? Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we have laid out this chapter the best we can, that you would use it. Father, may our love for the brethren be real. May it be increasing. May we lay our lives toward that. May we not be selfish. I pray, Father, if there's someone here that's not walking in an honest testimony with somebody there, our life is not real away from church, that those that are without Christ are being hindered by our walk. May you convict us today. In Jesus' name.